Welcome to IB Talk, the leading podcast for the insurance industry across the United States. Brought to you by Insurance Business. Hi, everybody, and welcome to IB Talk, the insurance business podcast. I'm Bethan Moorcraft, Senior Editor at Insurance Business, and I've got two very special guests with me today. I'm delighted to welcome Greg Halligan and Chris Cheetah, the co heads of US Insurance at Mercer one of the world's largest insurance investment consultants. And in this episode, we are going to be chatting through some top considerations for US insurers in the investment arena. Let's start with some brief introductions. Uh, Greg, I'll I'll come to you first. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your role at Mercer? Yeah, sure. So my name is Greg Halligan. I'm a partner and co-head of the insurance practice at Mercer. I've been in the industry for about 15 years, uh, at least, over 10 of those, I've been working with Chris. Uh, so for better or for worse, we've been uh, stuck with each other for the better part of a decade. And I started my career on the research side of the business, which is the part of our industry where we focus on market research and manager due diligence. And I focused on public and private fixed income asset classes. Those are obviously important asset classes for insurance companies. So eventually became more involved in working with our insurance company clients moving to the consulting side of the business and work with Chris and our team on helping insurers with their general account assets specifically. Excellent. Thanks, Greg. And Chris, the floor is yours. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, Pleasure. Uh, Again, co-lead the team with with Greg. I'm on my 28th year uh, in the business. Uh, I really grew up on the research side, very similar to Greg. Um, I headed up our global equity and alternative research efforts back in the day. Um, I've also worked on both the payer and provider side. I was the co-head of our not-for-profit healthcare practice um, previously. Now, uh, our current responsibilities are really working with uh, insurance companies, helping them to invest their general account or or operating assets. Um, As Greg mentioned, we have a, a dedicated team. We work with all sorts of different insurance companies, really across the board from health, PNC, life and annuity, and really sizes too, small to large publicly traded companies. So from that vantage point is how it really informs our views on uh, the themes and opportunities that we're seeing today. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you, Chris. Um, So obviously today we are talking about insurance investments. Greg, can you please set the scene for me? You know, how would you describe the, the sort of state in the health of the marketplace at the moment? Yeah, so I would say the overarching issue for insurance companies has really been the continued decline in interest rates over the last decade. We have seen them increase a little bit more recently, but they're still very low. And so this has a negative effect on insurance company balance sheets because it reduces the income that are generate that's generated from the investment portfolio. And this can really be a key driver of profitability for insurance companies. If you look at the typical balance sheet of an insurance company, the investment portfolio can be 80% or more. And so it really is a key piece of the overall uh, value of the company and the profitability uh, that's generated by that company. So as a result of that and the decline in, in income and interest rates, there's really been a renewed emphasis on properly optimizing the investment portfolio and making sure it's is playing the right role in the organization. A big, a big part of how we help clients is thinking about aligning the investment portfolio with their specific operating objectives and regulatory constraints. 
And I think for insurance companies that have really been dealing with this low interest rate environment, that's become a much more important part of uh, of really aligning the investment portfolio with with their objectives. Now, as part of that, and in an effort to combat low yields, insurance companies have definitely been adding more risk to their investment portfolios and investing outside of what have historically been primarily investment grade fixed income portfolios. And so the challenge in the environment today is really how do you improve return in your portfolio without taking on too much risk? And this has really led to a lot more complexity in investment programs. And it's really where we come in to help our clients uh, deal with the various factors associated with that. Okay. Yes, thank you, Greg. And Mercer recently published its top considerations for U.S. insurers in 2022. Um, And in it, there was a phrase that really caught my eye. Um, You say that insurance company investing has undergone a quasi-revolution of sorts. Greg, what do you mean by this? Um, And how are insurers reevaluating their portfolio strategies and liquidity needs? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think what that refers to is that we're really seeing insurance companies of all size move towards the path of more sophisticated investment programs, right? It used to be the case that larger insurance companies with big internal teams were maybe more active in non-core fixed income asset classes. They were taking more liquidity risk. They had maybe built up alternative uh, asset class programs within their portfolio. Um, But we're really seeing that uh, fall across all sectors of the insurance market and all size ranges. So as Chris mentioned, we work with large publicly traded insurance companies, but also small private insurers. And across that spectrum, we're really seeing this movement away from core fixed income or investment grade bond oriented portfolios into other asset classes. The other aspect of that is that I think for certain insurance companies in this environment, the investment portfolio has really taken on a larger role in the organization as a much more important lever of value creation uh, and a competitive advantage in some cases versus peers. And a good example of that is the combination of alternative asset management firms and insurance companies. Uh, which really plays into the themes that we have around alternatives and illiquidity and sophistication. But it's the way that insurance companies are really managing their investment portfolios today in a, in a, a much more holistic way, in a way that's much more aligned with their broader objectives and in a way that's uh, intended to, to drive overall enterprise value for the company. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the themes that I'm interested in, and it has to be a top consideration for, you know, U.S. insurers these days is ESG. So that's environmental, social and governance. Um, It's now a hot boardroom topic. It's having a lot more sort of influence on insurance investments. Chris, uh, I'll come to you for this one. What trends and impacts are you seeing around ESG and investing? Yes, indeed. We we have seen a, a major uptick in the interest in the U.S. as it relates to uh, ESG and, and basically all of its flavors. Think ESG, sustainable investing, impact investing, and in particular, climate change. I would say nearly every insurance company we've talked to in the last year or so is focused on understanding the implications of ESG and, and, and sustainable investing in their portfolios. So it is early innings. Um, and 
typically we start with education and just better understanding what's driving the interest. We have seen both internal and external pressures here on you know, internal stakeholders are primarily focused more on risk mitigation, and especially as it relates to the investment pool. External pressures, we've seen rating agencies, regulators, um, more focused on disclosures, and we've seen this, this climate transition risk uh, really becoming in the forefront, and, and in addition to the social determinants of health. So really, there's a combination of forces and constituencies that are driving a greater interest in this. Um, again, one internally, two externally, um, and you know, really thinking about what does that mean for them and figuring out where they are in the current state and where they want to get to in the future. And so we've really started, as I mentioned, with a lot of education and just understanding the importance of ESG and sustainable investing in the portfolio. Yeah, I would, I would maybe add if I could, you know, I think we've seen insurers fall across a, a spectrum in terms of advancement around implementing sustainability and ESG. And as Chris mentioned, I think when we look across the insurance sector today, the majority of insurers here in the U.S. are still really in those early innings of thinking about what should our objectives be? How does this impact us? And how do we start going through the process of understanding the different trade-offs associated with it? Whereas there are a smaller subgroup of insurance companies, and typically those are the larger, more publicly traded insurers who are much more advanced in terms of thinking about how they implement this in their portfolio. And typically what we see is that falls across a couple of different layers. So the first is really the overall objectives and belief beliefs of the organization, right? What is it that they're trying to accomplish, whether that is focused on risk mitigation or if it's focused on a specific factor that's relevant for their business? That could be climate-related risk for a property casualty insurer. It could be social determinants of health uh, for a health insurance company. Whatever that is, having some understanding of, of what, what's the objective and what are the issues that are important to us. The next layer of that is then embodying that within the governance documents of the organizations, and in particular, as it relates to the investment portfolio, how will these factors be considered in the decision-making framework? The third layer is then any external investment manager relationships. So if an insurance company has non-affiliated investment managers that they are hiring to manage a portion of the portfolio, what's their ability to implement ESG or align their strategy from an ESG perspective. And then lastly is really the, the, the specific securities in the portfolio. Uh, what do those represent in terms of various ESG factors? And then I think the next piece of it is kind of how, how intentional are you with those? So on one side, we see insurance companies really focused on risk mitigation as the primary factor. And so that may mean that in different environments, you are compensated for some of that risk, even if it is a lower, say, environmental score, where other insurers or other institutional investors may be focused on you know, excluding some of those exposures or risk factors in their portfolio altogether. Climate is usually the biggest piece of this. That's where we've seen probably the most detailed work being done around how do you think about the risks to your portfolio from a transition standpoint or a physical standpoint? And how do you get from A to B in terms of where you are today and where you wanna to be in the future relative to any of those items? 
Mm, it's certainly interesting. There's there's a lot of sort of urgency around, as you said, the three pillars of ESG. Um, you know, and and people are trying to diversify their portfolios and and taking different strategies behind that. So it is interesting to kind of hear your your thoughts on that. Um, building on that, then, Greg, you know, what are some opportunities for insurance investors? Um, in other things like alternatives and private debt and kind of, you know, what other things can they look into? Yeah, definitely. So I think you touched on one of the big trends and topics within the insurance market and certainly more broadly across other institutional investors, which is really the emergence of, of private markets and private asset classes. Uh, and alternatives are one label to describe that set of asset classes that uh, that investors are looking to to generate more return or diversification in their portfolio. For insurance companies in particular, alternatives have definitely been a growing area over the last decade or so. And over the last few years, we've definitely seen the pace pick up in terms of adoption of alternatives, uh, alternatives programs and alternative asset classes. Again, I would say what has changed a little bit is that we're seeing that trend move down market. And so again, where some of the large, larger, more sophisticated insurance companies in the market have been active in alternatives for some time, we're seeing our smaller clients that maybe even have under a billion dollars in, in investable assets who are thinking about how alternatives can can benefit their their program. Generally, the focus from an insurance company standpoint is thinking about how they can generate more return or more specifically, more income from their portfolio. And so when you look across the different types of alternative asset classes that investors may be focused on, there's private debt, there's real estate, there's private equity, there's venture capital, there's real assets. We oftentimes see our insurance company clients focused within that private debt market because that's the market that more more closely resembles public fixed income, right? To the extent that it's debt orientated, there's income that's associated with those types of strategies. And so the generation of that income can help them combat the lower overall returns within their investment grade uh, portfolio. Now, these asset classes require a lot more due diligence, right? To pick the right strategies and the right managers. Managing the overall program related to alternatives is kind of a, a, a more sophisticated process where you, you need to think about what's the exposure that you want to gain over time and, and how do you get there and how do you build up to it and how do you ensure diversification. Um, but we're, we're really increasingly seeing insurance companies access these asset classes as a way to, to generate more return in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, another trend um, that seems to have cropped up in this space is that more and more insurer- insurers are using illiquid securities. Um, Greg, I'm going to stick with you just for, just for this one. Why is that the case? Um, and what are perhaps the key benefits of using illiquid securities? Yeah, definitely. So we've certainly seen more insurance companies think about what the overall right level of liquidity is in their portfolio. And some of this is being driven by tighter spreads or lower returns that they're receiving within public markets, right? So as equity market valuations have increased, as spreads or yields within 
liquid fixed income have declined, insurers are looking for other ways to trade a certain risk factor for additional return. One of those risk factors can be credit quality, right? So insurers could go down from investment grade fixed income to below investment grade fixed income. Another lever is to trade liquidity. Now, most people and most insurers in particular, when you first think about liquidity as a lever to pull in the portfolio, the first place they think about is alternatives. And alternatives in private markets are definitely one piece of that. Those asset classes tend to be asset classes that that do come with higher risk and they do come with higher return targets. If you think of a typical insurance company portfolio, there are limitations in terms of how much exposure they can typically have to those asset classes because they come with a high capital cost. So if we take an example of, you know, let's just say there's an insurance company that has an upper limit of 20% to risk assets in their portfolio. And half of that they're going to allocate to the alternatives segment. What do they do with the other 80%? And that 80%, a role that that plays in the portfolio is to support the reserves of the insurance company. But there are still things that insurance companies can do to think about how they can generate additional yield. And liquidity is another lever within that part of the portfolio. And so we're increasingly seeing insurance companies outside of the life segment also look to private investment grade asset classes as a way to generate more yield in their portfolio. And so that illiquidity theme is one that we've really seen expand across the portfolio, across multiple asset classes, and across multiple quality segments of the portfolio. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And like we've now touched on a number of big themes, liquid securities, private debt alternatives, um, some of the big things around sort of ESG investing. Um, Chris, coming back to you, kind of what are some emerging or perhaps ongoing trends that you expect to see in the insurance investment arena for 2022 and, and moving forwards? Yeah, we think the ongoing trends are going to be very similar to what we've outlined. This search for yield or a way to boost investment income is going to be a a key priority going forward. This is, um, as we've talked about, led insurers to this quasi-revolution and basically means the need to expand its investment toolkit. Um, And as we've talked about, taking advantage of the illiquidity and complexity premiums that are in the marketplace. Um, And insurers need to understand those trade-offs, those trade-offs as it relates to risk, liquidity, capital constraints, and really thinking about which of those illiquid or alternative investments make the most sense for their portfolio. And so we are seeing that interest in the alternative space, the illiquid space, and as to Greg's point, more income-oriented strategies. So again, that private debt space is where we're seeing a lot of interest from insurance companies. Um, I think as we talked about earlier, the ESG space continues to be just a focal point. Um, Early innings, insurance companies are grappling with what that means to them internally. And I think there's going to be a lot more discussions around um, kind of where they want to focus their time and energy as it relates to the investment side of the the, the portfolio for uh, sustainability. Great. Thanks, Chris. Um, And Greg, anything to add on that? I mean, I think in terms of trends for the coming year, we definitely can, you know, I think we definitely expect to see 
the continued diversification outside of core fixed income within insurance company portfolios. And the natural result of that is more complexity and more risk within those portfolios. And so it becomes additional factors that insurance companies need to manage as they think about what the right level of risk is in their investment portfolio, given their overall operating objectives. Beth, maybe one last comment on that would be uh, a focus on inflation and rising interest rates. Um, that continues to be a, a, a you know, material focus for us with our clients as well. You know, as it relates to the portfolio, a, a gradual rise in interest rates is manageable you know, as you get to reinvest back in higher rates. Um, but to Greg's point, that diversification factor uh, is really important as it relates to managing higher inflation regimes as well as higher interest rates. And thinking about diversifying away from that core fixed income to get a bit more floating rate debt in there, um, whether that's securitized um, and staying investment grade or in some of those alternative illiquid areas as well. Yeah, definitely. Another big theme there. Um, but so, Greg, Chris, thank you very much. I mean, that's a lot of very important information squeezed into 20 minutes um, and lots for our listeners to take away there. So, you know, thank you both very much for, for joining me and for sharing your insights on IB Talk. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yep. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in. I'm Bethan Moorcraft, Senior Editor at Insurance Business. Make sure you check out the rest of our IB Talk podcasts, IB TV episodes, and daily news at www.insurancebusinessmag.com forward slash US. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts.